Thank you, Mark. Wow. I can't believe I'm standing here. Kind of an unreal moment for us. It's been 10 years. Uh, wow. After 10 years, I can say one thing for sure. I, I am glad the mauve carpeting is gone. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever had to try to keep that clean, you'd know what I'm uh, saying. <laughs> that was a terrible job keeping that clean. Um, Wow. I have uh, a lot in my heart uh, today, but I won't be able to say it all, so I have to reserve that for another time. Uh, I feel bad that Pastor Jonathan is gone today. He is really sick. I've never heard him sound. He hasn't eaten for three or four days. Terrible case of the flu. Do pray for him. Uh, so I know that uh, he is missing being here the, First Sunday of the new year, at least as a pastor, I always look forward to that. I mean, it was kickoff time. It was time to get energized and revitalized for another year of, of ministry. So I know he hates not being here today. Uh, so, uh, but I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I can be here to fill in uh, for him. Uh, Mon and I are totally exhausted. Uh, we arrived on Thursday with all of our boxes in the U-Haul, and we've been unpacking since. But we're totally exhausted. We're totally excited at the same time. You understand that? Uh, it is so good to be here. Uh, I'm not sure what to think of a group of people who get up early to go to church. I, I, was <laughs> I was invited to a men's Bible study just this Friday over the administration building. I didn't know if it was a test to see if I would get up early for a Bible study or whether there were men who really met <laughs> at 6.30 on Friday to study the Bible, but they were the real deal. They were there to study the Bible. So uh, apparently if you are that same uh, genre of uh, people, then you are a bunch of radicals here this morning gathering, uh, and that's good. Last Sunday was a, a, a really tough Sunday for us. It was our last Sunday back at Faith Assembly in Elkhorn Heights, Iowa. I had been the lead pastor there for 23 years. Uh, so as you can imagine, a lot of life uh, experiences, a lot of memories, and uh, it was very, very hard to say goodbye. We also left uh, our son and daughter-in-law and three wonderful grandchildren to make the move here. And uh, so it was very hard, a very emotional time, and, uh, but at the same time, it was an easy move because of Bella Vista Assembly of God. And uh, all I'm going to say right now is that Bella Vista Assembly of God holds a place in our heart and life that you can't imagine. When we came 15 years ago, we were at a very low point in our life, having just experienced the death of our 27-year-old son and his wife, Sandy, as they uh, came home uh, for Thanksgiving in November uh, of 2004 and uh, sent us into a tailspin. Uh, I tried to continue to minister as a lead pastor there, but it seemed like every time I mentioned my son's name, I was crying. So it doesn't do too good, too good to be crying in the pulpit all the time. So we did, we did step down and we moved to Bella Vista, not really having a clue what we were going to do other than, uh, and if you've lost a child, you can read a little bit to what I'm saying. It, uh, you're not sure how you're going to move forward, but by God's grace, you do. So I had a sister who lived here in Bella Vista, said it was a nice place to live, and we moved here, not knowing what we were going to do. And... As Mark said, uh, uh, by God's grace, and Pastor Jonathan gave uh, me the opportunity to, to clean floors and toilets here, which I was extremely grateful for, uh, he and Mark Kelly. But this church embraced us and loved us, and you took us through 
the worst time in our life, and it's not an understatement for us. It was rock bottom worst time of our life. And we came through that after four years here, and we were revitalized in every sense of the word, and, and God put us back at that church in Elkhorn Heights where we ministered the last 10 years. Um, but we're here because of your love and because you helped us through that difficult time, and we wouldn't be here. Now, I want to tell more of that story, but I'm going to save it for the prime timers. Uh, one of my hats here is going to be the prime timer pastor, and apparently Pastor Jonathan thinks I'm now qualified for that for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the additional 10 years of age I have, uh, my gray hairs, uh, or the fact that I now have four grandchildren I didn't have 10 years ago, and maybe one other thing, I now require reading glasses, but at any rate, uh, he thinks I'm qualified now to, to work with the prime timers, and I'm looking uh, forward to that. But I want to, we didn't have time to put this in the, the bulletin, uh, but I, uh, I want to say thank you to the prime timers committee. They uh, graciously met with me yesterday on very short notice uh, because I, I wanted to meet with the, the prime timers as soon as I can as an entire group. So we have set, uh, we're calling it the prime timers 2020 kickoff dinner for Friday the 17th at 5 p.m. here at the church. So if you identify, that seems to be a contemporary word these days, if you identify as a prime timer, and I'm still working on what a prime timer is, but if you identify as a prime timer, I want to invite you out to Friday night, uh, kickoff dinner uh, at 5 o'clock, and uh, during that time, we're going to have a good time, good food, and I'm going to share just a little bit more of our story, our connection uh, to Faith Assembly, just kind of a meet and greet time. I just want you to get a little better picture of who we are. And in addition to that, I want to cast a vision for our prime timer ministry here, get us going uh, in the same direction with a sense of uh, unity and vision and purpose. So I'm looking forward to it. So please, if you can make it Friday the 17th at 5 p.m. for that dinner, I would love to see you there. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet out in the uh, foyer. We had to do this last minute, so uh, please uh, sign up out there just so we can plan for food and uh, room arrangements, so we'd appreciate that very much. So I'll get to share a little bit more of my heart uh, with you on that night, so I hope you can uh, make that. You know, I've been in the pulpit every Sunday for the last 10 years, and uh, for some reason I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I'm used to... Uh, a family, and, but we are family, aren't we? So, well, you pray for me as I fill in for Jonathan this morning, and uh, we're going to get through this, and I hope to give you just a little jump start into the new year. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we uh, pray first of all for Pastor Jonathan, who is so sick with the flu. We want, Lord, you to raise him up from that bed of sickness, restore his health, his life, and his energy, Lord, and uh, enable him, Lord, quickly to return to that wonderful role of pastor here at, at Bella Vista. We thank you for Pastor Jonathan and, and for this service, for the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, uh, use the few words I will share this morning to touch our hearts, to minister, Lord, what you have 
for us at the beginning of this new year, 2020. Bless us, Lord, with your presence and your power and your wisdom. In Christ we pray. Amen. I noticed they gave me 40 minutes. I probably won't need 40 minutes, but uh, I've never heard too many people complain if they get out a few minutes early uh, from church. It's going to be a, a New Year's challenge for us. You know, every person who attends church, who listens to the preaching of God's word, who repents of sin, accepts Christ as their Savior, gets baptized, and begins reading the word of God, is a soul that is moving in the right direction. They're moving towards God, and they're moving towards a life that is pleasing to God. But you know, none of this happens in a vacuum. It happens because people share Christ. People must be told about Jesus and the things of God. They must be invited to church. They must be prayed for, and they must be shown the love of God. They've got to be discipled, and they need to be nurtured in their faith. That's our mission, individually, collectively as a church, to witness for Jesus and introduce people to Jesus. I call it our great assignment. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, all peoples, baptizing in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Help them to know Jesus Christ. So the point is, we want to see people saved. This morning, would you say that with me? We want to see people saved. If I was back home, I would chastise you for that weak response. <laughs> but I'm going I'm to take it easy on you this morning. Let's try it again together. We want to see people saved. Well, I hope you can say that with conviction, and I'm going to work on it for the rest of the service. But we want to see people saved. That's what this is all about. Would you say amen? amen. If you don't want to see people saved, I'm not sure where you're at. I'm not sure what you're doing here unless you're a newcomer. We want to be people saved. We do. You know, that was true in 2019. It's going to be true in 2020. And you know, it's true until Jesus comes. We want to see people saved. You know, you, the people of Bella Vista, some of God have uh, sacrificed and, and worked hard to expand and remodel and uh, pretty much complete a wonderful facility. It's a beautiful place. I love it. The, the improvements you made are just outstanding. And it is a, a truly remarkable place. And, it's, and jo Pastor Jonathan has said it's just about complete. You're nearing the end of it. He said that uh, not too much more room to expand the campus at this particular location. It's, uh, you've gone about as uh, big as you can do. You've remodeled what you have, and you're ready. But you know, you built this not just for yourselves. You built it to accommodate the souls that were going to come to know Jesus Christ. One thing I picked up from Pastor Jonathan when I was here the first time, and I took it back to Iowa, he said, if you're going to believe for souls, then you need to prepare for those souls. 
You need to make room for them. He said souls require a place to sit. They require a place to park a car. Uh, they require a room. If you're going to believe and really believe, if you really want to see souls saved, then you've got to start enlarging the nursery, which Pastor Jonathan did right away. You've got to start adding bathrooms. You gotta, hey, they're going to come, right? We, we want to see people saved. And, and he did that. I took that back to Iowa, and we did that. I said, we're going to, we were a church of 70 back then, but I said, I'm coming back with a vision for 200, but we can't fit 200 in here. Are we going to believe for that or not? Well, with a little arm twisting, they did. <laughs> and we built a wonderful, we built a, a million dollar sanctuary in a town of 1,200 people, and it seats 300. And last Sunday when I left, we had 197 to say goodbye to me. And, uh, and so I, I kind of felt like my mission was complete. But it was not built just for us. We built it in faith that souls were going to be saved. They needed a place to come and be nurtured, to hear the word of God, to find fellowship, and grow in their faith. So today, my New Year's challenge to us is that we will keep moving forward with that vision, that we would stay alive for Jesus, keep our sense of urgency and passion for reaching souls for Jesus. You probably are aware that many churches in America are declining. Uh, last year, I, I believe it was last year, the General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God in one of his letters to us pastors said that of the 12,800 Assembly of God churches in continental United States, last year 8,400 of them were declining or had plateaued in attendance. 8,400 Assembly of God churches in America. Churches are declining all around us. But, you know, it will happen to any church, any church, if they lose their sense of mission and their passion for souls. I'll guarantee it. And it can happen here. I talk to uh, many people up in the Waterloo area who attend these great big churches with just a few people. And they'll ask us, well, how is it you're experiencing growth? And I said, we're just trying to get people saved. But I think they lost sight of that. <laughs> they thought it was just to come place to, to have fellowship and social gatherings. No, no, our mission is to go. Make disciples of all people. Teach them to know and love Jesus Christ and experience the life for which he died. So today is, it's about that. You know, the vision for souls here at Bella Vista uh, will never be complete. I know Pastor Jonathan well enough to know that you'll never hear him say, well, <clears throat> that's enough. We've reached our quota, okay? You can stop inviting people to, to church. You can stop uh, talking to people about Jesus. I, I think we've done our share. You'll never hear him say that. He'll never say, just relax, just enjoy what we have and forget about everyone else. I want you to know I, I, I wouldn't be here for, West, for Pastor Jonathan. I would not be an associate to just any pastor, but I, I know his heart. And I, I got to tell you this, uh, Pastor Jonathan inspires me. <laughs> uh, I, I called it my Jonathan fix. I, over the years, I would just call him just to talk to him because he's an inspiring young man. Uh, and he's a visionary, and he's a strong leader, a decision maker. And he inspires me, and I'm sure that's why you're here today. I'm sure that 
these facilities reflect his leadership and his desire to make room for souls. That's his heart, and I, I, I love him for that. But you know, we can't relax and we can't stop and we can't lose our passion, and there's one reason. It's because souls matter to God. Every soul matters to God. That's what motivates us. It's the value of the human soul. I'm sure you are familiar with Luke 15, where Jesus was being criticized because he hung around sinners, of all things. They're religious people who don't like <laughs> people who hang around sinners. I'm not sure why, but now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Shame on him. And Jesus' response to that criticism of eating with sinners was given in three parables. He gave the parable of the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We're not going to look at those. Hopefully most of you know those. But in every instance, something was lost. And in every instance when that something was lost and when it was found, there was a celebration. And there was a celebration for one reason, because what was lost had value. When that shepherd found the lost sheep, threw it on his shoulders and called all his friends and said, let's have a party, let's celebrate for my sheep that was lost is now found. But listen to what Jesus said about that. He said, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God celebrates, heaven celebrates the salvation of one soul. It's important to know what's important to God. It's important to know what God celebrates. That's what he celebrates. He goes on, same thing in the, the lost coin. It is, it is found, and the woman calls her friends and says, Rejoice with me, I found my coin. And Jesus said this, in the same way again, in the same way that this woman rejoiced over this coin and have a party, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And of course, you know the story of the prodigal son. And it ends with these words. The father said, but we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad. Why did you have to celebrate? Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. No ifs, ands, or buts. When a sinner comes to repentance, you can count on it. Your God in heaven, all the angels with them are throwing a, a party. They're rejoicing. Another sinner has come home. Praise the Lord. So we've got to stay passionate about reaching lost souls. A lot of you are old enough to know we don't get a rerun in life. Life is a one-time through. No practice runs. Life's here right now. It's you and me, and it is today. And it's those people that you see every day. I'd like you to do something for me. I want you all to just close your eyes for a moment. Would you just close your eyes? And right now, I want you to picture the people in your world. I want you to picture the people you work with. If you're a student, picture your fellow students. Uh, if you're one of those golfers, picture those golfers out on the, the golf course. Picture the people right now that are part of your world. All right, you can open your eyes. You know, all around us, 
are lost and broken people who need the healing and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus Christ. And you know what else they need? They need you to tell them about Jesus Christ. They need you to be a witness so they can find that love and the healing that they need for the brokenness of life that has come from a, a life of sin. They need you, they need me to be on fire for Jesus. Now, I don't know if Pastor Jonathan uses the word on fire, but it's a little colloquialism I like to use. On fire, I'm going to use it today. So today is really about staying on fire for souls. It's about enthusiasm, passion, taking risk, being bold, getting out of your comfort zone, not being a coward for Jesus. It's about being alive for Jesus because every soul matters to God. Every soul. For my passage this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. If you want to turn to that, that would be great. And while you're doing that, I want you to give... I want to give you the context of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was pastoring at Ephesus at the time. Timothy was a, a travel companion of Paul, a close friend. I think it would be fair to say he was probably the Apostle Paul's closest friend. Called him his son in the faith. And the words of 2 Timothy are, come from the words of a of a friend who is a, to a friend who is a pastor and a follower of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy is an intensely personal letter. Paul and Timothy have known each other now for 16 years. And Paul is in prison. He's awaiting his final trial. He expects that he will get the death sentence and he's going to die in prison for the crime of believing in Jesus Christ and telling others about him. And so he's writing to Timothy to encourage him to be strong, to keep up the fight, stay passionate as a witness for Christ, stay alive for Jesus. And this morning, as we look at a few words from this passage, I want you to know that though these words are, are written to Pastor Timothy, they're written to everyone who would seek to follow Jesus Christ and lead others to him. So let me read just a few verses uh, from this. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I've been reminded of your sincere faith. It's talking about Timothy's faith, which first lived in your mother and grandmother. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and it's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I want to just take away three things this morning from the words of Paul to Timothy. The first one that I want you to take home is he says to 
Timothy, in verse 8, do not be ashamed to witness for Jesus. I want you to take that home with you today. It's God's word to us. I know how long you've served Jesus. It doesn't matter. The words are still true. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord Jesus. You know, Paul's writing to his best friend, his son in the faith, a pastor for that matter. He's known him for 16 years. And yet he says to Timothy, don't be ashamed to tell others about Jesus Christ. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I'm not sure if I would write a letter to a good pastor friend and, say, <laughs> and tell him, don't be ashamed to talk to people about Jesus. I guess I would feel a little bit ill at ease about saying it, but not Paul. And I think maybe Paul knows something about the challenge of being a witness for Jesus Christ. Paul has been doing this for 30 years now, witnessing for Christ. And negatively, Paul knew that it wasn't always easy to testify for Jesus. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, let me read it. Paul had just come to Thessalonica uh, from Philippi, where he had uh, a very difficult uh, time. But I want to read you his words to the Thessalonians when he came to them. He said this, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. And this is a tremendous understatement of what happened in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Paul knew what we required often to share the gospel. He knew what it was to have taken beatings and to be laughed at and to be ridiculed. And let me read to you, just for emphasis, what Paul experienced along the way for talking about Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, we read these words, and you're familiar with this, but these were real experiences of Paul. In verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've con been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And on it goes. Paul knew if you're going to talk about Jesus, if you're going to witness for Jesus, it may come at a cost. He encouraged Timothy, do it anyway. Don't be ashamed to testify of our Lord and Savior. Never stop talking about your Lord. And then reading in between the lines a little bit, and I believe this Paul reflects Paul's heart, though it's not specifically said in this way. I think Paul was also saying to Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify about your Lord because on the positive side, there's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more rewarding to th than to share Jesus Christ with people. Do it whatever the cost, whatever the cost. You know, Paul is about to die for being a witness for Jesus. 
And he says, Timothy, my life has been the best life possible. It's been an exciting journey. I've never been bored. You know, there are people that are bored these days. Paul was never bored. You'll never be bored if you're out talking about Jesus. I just guarantee it. And he says, I wouldn't have lived it any other way. Zero regrets. And just two chapters later, we get an inkling of this from Paul when he says these well-known words in chapter 4. He says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day. That does not sound like the words of a man who thought his wife, or his wife, his life had been wasted or lived in vain. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds to me like a victory cry. That's what it sounds like. He's about to die. And what he's saying, I did it. I made it to the finish line. I fought the fight. I kept the faith. Nothing could keep me down. I was a witness for Jesus right to the finish line. You know, do you know what it's like to fight the toughest battle of your life or to run the most grueling race of your life and to not give up no matter the pain or the cost and to make it to the finish line? That's a glorious feeling. Glorious. It's like those old rocky boxing movies. <laughs> Beaten, bloodied, but still standing at the end, right? That was the Apostle Paul. That's what he was saying to Timothy. I did it. I finished the race. I fought the fight. I won. I didn't quit. The enemy has been beaten, defeated. I stayed alive and strong for Jesus right up to the end. That's what God wants for us. So, Timothy, don't be ashamed to testify for your Lord. Keep your passion for souls. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We've got to believe that. There's a reason not to be ashamed of the gospel. For it contains the power that will set people free from their sin and grant them the gift of eternal life. And nothing else can do that. I'm not ashamed of that. You know, if we do that in 2020, I believe that, and if we are live in a way that is unashamedly in favor of Jesus Christ and talk to him, that, uh, to people who will listen, try to save as many souls as possible. I believe we'll look back on 2020 just as the Apostle Paul did with no regrets. Even at the end of the year, say, wow, I fought, I fought a good fight. I, I ran a good race this year. And at the end of 2020, you're not going to look back and say, what a boring year it was. Nothing exciting happened in my life. I guarantee if you maintain a sense of urgency, a passion about reaching people for Christ, it's going to be an exciting journey. Not an easy one. I didn't say, I've never used the word easy, have I? <laughs> not easy. <laughs> but not boring. May come with cost. But you know, anything worth doing comes with cost, doesn't it? Well, that's the first point. I only have till 10 2, is that correct? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I thought this was going to be a short message. All right. <laughs> the second point, he says to Timothy, remember that Jesus has saved you. I found it interesting that in verse 9 there, Paul would remind 
Timothy that Jesus saved us. Again, if you're writing to a pastor, I'm not sure if he would say that. <laughs> well, by the way, remember that Jesus saves. But he did. And I think it's for this reason. If you lose sight of your salvation, if you lose sight of what it means to be saved, I believe that you're going to decline in your passion for Jesus and souls. If you ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus died in your place on that cross to take your sins. If you ever lose sight of the fact that Christ destroyed death on your behalf and he conquered it for you. And because of his life and death, death no longer has the final say. We will live again. You know, just last Saturday, uh, my, my last week at Faith Assembly went... <laughs> Uh, ended with a funeral. And Saturday that week, a, a good friend of mine of 27 years, also a pastor, uh, went home to be with the Lord. His name was Paul. And the family asked me to do his funeral, which I obliged the last day before I was to leave. But Paul was a, a pastor, and he had worked all his life to see people saved. But I will tell you that it's just a wonderful thing Paul and I have many conversations. It's a wonderful thing to be able to sit down with somebody and talk about death and dying without fear. There was no sense of fear. He was, he was ready for the Lord. That's what salvation is all about. It's about being ready for that final breath, isn't it? You know, in Hebrews 2.14, gives us the reason that Jesus had to become human. But I, I like what it says there. Hebrews 2.14, says, Since the children have flesh and blood, this is why Christ became human, he too shared in their humanity that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and listen to this, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I believe people are held in slavery by their fear of death. You realize people's greatest goal in life is to not die. <laughs> they live in fear of it. They absolutely do. But let me tell you something, friends. Our greatest goal in life is not to try to avoid death. You're going to lose that. <laughs> Jesus is taking care of the death issue. You're free to live. The worst thing that can happen to you is you will die. And Jesus has made it the best thing that will ever happen to you. You're saved. You've been set free from the dear fear of death. You know, you can live life with reckless abandonment. You know what's coming at the end. The goal of life is not to save it. It's to use it, to spend it. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, then lose it for me. That's when you'll find it. That's when you'll enjoy it. Not when you try to hoard it. Hang on to it. Use it. You know, a friend of mine, I took this off my wall this week as I was packing my, my books. A friend of mine gave it to me a number of years ago, but kind of, uh, he knows where my heart is. But uh, just for your prime timer, just so you know where I'm coming from, uh, listen to this uh, little saying here. Life's not, life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. That's the way to live life. Use it up. Use it up 
for Jesus Christ, and I got to use up my time really quick here. He says one other thing to Timothy. He says to fan the flame, the gift that is in you. If you're going to live passionately for Christ, you're going to have to keep that spiritual flame on high that God has given to you. And he tells Timothy, he says, fan it. Keep it. Keep it on high. In Romans 12, 11, Paul said this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I didn't have time to look this up, but I, I recall that idea of spiritual fervor. is Keep it on boiling point. You know, the Bible frowns on lukewarmness. You understand that. <laughs> it says, keep your spiritual fervor. Keep it on high. You're going to have to if you're going to witness for Jesus Christ. Paul says we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. He doesn't tell us how to fan it into flame, unfortunately. We would have loved to have had one, two, three steps. But let me just say, do whatever it takes to keep your spiritual flame on high, to keep the Holy Spirit active and working in your life. Pray, study, hang around passionate people. But one thing for sure, and these are my words, you're going to have to have some fire in your bones or you're not going to witness for Jesus today, okay? You're going to. If you're experiencing cowardice, and we do, then you need to do something to rekindle the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do something. Don't accept that because Paul says God's not giving you that. God's not giving us a spirit of cowardice. He just said that to Timothy, but he's given us a, what? He's given us power and love, self-control. That's what God gives us. You know, the early church, I've got to close with these words. The early church was not afraid to pray for boldness often. Right from the very beginning, in Acts 4, I'll read just Peter and, and John had been arrested and they had been released off to a wonderful start of sharing Christ and been released. They came back to their church and they began praying. And in verse 29 of Acts 4, it says, and this is the church in prayer now. Peter and John had just been released from jail. They had beaten, threatened, so forth. And, and it says here, Now, Lord, this is part of their prayers, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They've just been released, and this church is praying, Lord, help us to speak it with more boldness. And then Ephesians, Paul ends this. I think this is a remarkable uh, passage. Paul says this as he concludes his words to the Ephesians in verse 19. He says, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Isn't that amazing that the Apostle Paul would be writing to other Christians say, would you pray for me? Pray that I will boldly and fearlessly declare the gospel. How would you like to have Paul come up to you and say, would you pray that I could be more bold? I think, wow, wow. But the early church recognized that they needed boldness and they needed prayer and they needed the power of the Holy Spirit, and they did that. Well, running out of time, I was going to have us pray for that boldness. I may just end up concluding by praying for you. But they were willing to pray for boldness because they recognized that it's not easy to testify Jesus. I remember I didn't use that word easy. 
It's rewarding. It's satisfying. It will make your life worthwhile. It will lead to no regret living. But it's not easy. <laughs> but it's not easy. But let's do it anyway. Let's stay alive with a passion for souls 2020. Let's not be ashamed of what Christ Jesus has done for us and who he is to us. So the question, how is that fire in your soul? You got it on low flame. Does it need a little rekindling? Well, that can happen. The earlier church prayed. And you know what it says? Oh, did I? Here's, here's what happened after they prayed. I, maybe I didn't read the finish. They came together and they prayed. In verse 31, here's what happened. It says, after they prayed, verse 31. Notice the word after. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? They spoke the word of God boldly. That's it. <laughs> they did. And they went out. And they did that very thing. And we're here today because they did that. They spoke the word of God boldly. I tell people all the time, the early church preached simply by enthusiastically gossiping about Jesus Christ, and they did it boldly. And i got to close with the reason. And the reason they did it is because every soul matters to God. Amen. Faith, uh, Bella Vista, we are so happy to, to be here. We're looking forward to 2020. And let's make it a year of, of passionate soul winning, discipling people for Christ, and building up the family of God that Jesus died to create. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you, and I'm simply going to pray that God's going to just give you a wonderful spirit of boldness. And you pray for me as well as I begin the ministry here, that I will fearlessly and boldly proclaim the gospel as well. And together, we're going to see a great harvest of souls at Bella Vista this year. Would you say amen? Let's believe for that. You want to see people saved? I hope so. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these.